Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Stop laughing over there. This is serious for church right now. Glad you all braved the California storm and made it here to our building. Squeak. (laughs) Glad you guys are here. Um, Let's pause, let's pray, and, and let's move forward with this morning and all that's waiting for us to happen. Father, we are grateful for, again, an opportunity to gather together for heating and shelter and the things that we enjoy and appreciate, especially when the weather is cold and raining. Lord, I pray that you would allow our time together to be effective in producing good things in our lives, that it would move us forward in our relationship with you and your kingdom. Thank you again for the opportunity. Lord, may we participate with what you are doing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Up here, up here. (laughs) Good morning. morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, I've been struck recently just uh, how quickly time goes by. My granddaughter is five months old today, and it's just like, when did that happen? And She's rolling over now, and she is this little bundle of endorphin. You know, when you hold her, it's just like, ah, you just feel great. And it just moves so quickly. And it's funny thinking about time and how quickly things have changed. It wasn't too long ago when I was driving a Toyota truck, I went and picked up my other granddaughter up from middle school, and it was the first time I picked her up, and she started laughing because the windows had handles. And she said, what is this? And she started making fun of me because we had to roll down the windows. And I thought, it was like a 2004 Toyota, right? And I thought, what do you mean? She'd never seen a window roll down with a handle. And I thought, where have you been? (laughs) Not very far since she's, you know, still relatively young. And then I was thinking back on my first desktop computer. Remember, Gil, that Acer? Man, that was a paperweight. Um, 
I think the hard drive was like 500 megabytes. 500 megabytes. I mean, the whole computer, that's all it had. Now you can get a flash drive with, you know, 50 gigabytes or probably more. Who knows? Just how quickly things change from where they were and how they are. And remember, before cell phones, there was the landline. And the only way you could know where someone was is if you knew they were either at home or said they were going somewhere, because otherwise there's no way to keep in touch. It's like if they weren't home, who knows where they are? They could be in San Diego. They could, you know, who knows? They could be anywhere. Couldn't keep track of your kids. They just, you know, had to come home when the streetlights went on, right? That kind of thing. And so how quickly those things change. And before there was even landlines, right? How did you communicate? You know, mail? right? You'd have to drive to see somebody. You couldn't just call them. And before cars, what, you ride your horse, you know? I mean, if you had a horse. And we start going back and we start thinking of how, how far removed we are. And I can't imagine a person thinking, you know, a hundred years ago that you could FaceTime someone on the other side of the world as if it was nothing, right? That would just be unimaginable. And, and time... The distance, it distances us from the experience of the past. We, we know about it, but we don't know the experience of it. And I think that that's true when we start thinking of church and how it started. We are so far removed from the experience of when it began, we have an idea of what it is like, but it's still filtered through the lens of what our experience is now. I remember when Genesis first started, we went through the book of Acts because I thought, that's where you start. That's where the church was starting. But it doesn't mean that they got it right, right? We're starting at a book, and who says that everything they did was good, right? They had all kinds of mess-ups, but we just assume it's going to be good. And then even our assumption is so far removed from the experience, it's hard to truly grasp what's going on. And I think it's important to recognize that this is an important process for us to, to step into, to try and understand why this movement became so profound and took hold so quickly. What was it that made it something that spread like fire? Was it the, the smoke machines and the lights? Was it the, the band and the dim lights, right? It, it wasn't any of those things that are often used today to try and make church you know, appealing, it was something very organic, something very almost primitive. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it starts off and it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. I want you to notice the plural, the churches, which means assembly, basically, in Galatia. And so in this region, there were these, what he's calling churches, or what we call churches, these assemblies, these groups of people that were meeting. And he says this in the other epistles too, right? In Philippians, it'll be to all God's holy people in Jesus Christ in Philippi, or to God's holy people in Ephesus, to God's holy people in Colossae 
to these groups of people in these regions, he's communicating these things. Because the early church, the early Jews probably started off in synagogues, but then they were ousted pretty quickly, and then they started meeting in homes. The Gentiles never met in the synagogues. They always started meeting at homes. And a household was the smallest social unit at that time. And so this faith, this religion that is about to explode begins in this humble setting of homes, but lots of homes, because a home could hold maybe 20 people. I mean, if you got someone who's got a lot of money, maybe more. I mean, get 20 people in my house, it's crowded, right? Some other people's houses I've been to, it's like maybe not so much, but so you have this small group of people meeting at different houses, and that is what is known as the church, which makes sense because that's kind of what Jesus did, right? He would go to people's homes, he would have dinner with them, and he would dialogue with them, and that's where the conversation began, and that's where people got to know who he was. And so it makes sense that it would kind of follow in those steps of going to people's homes, sitting down, usually around a table, usually around food, and having some connection with one another. But that connection is so different than what we have going on even right here. They didn't have a stage. Most houses don't. I know a few do. They would sit around a table and they would communicate with each other. They didn't have a Bible. They couldn't even bring a Torah. You know what the Torah looked like? It was these big old scrolls. Hey, go get your Bible. Okay, you know, pull up the drawer and here, I've got it. Open to, they didn't have those things. 94% of the people couldn't even read. You were lucky if you were at a home where someone could actually read. Probably the majority of them didn't have anyone who could read to you. Hey, here's a scroll. I can't read it. So now what do we do? What are we going to talk about? How is this going to become a community if we don't have someone reading a Bible to us, if we don't have guitars yet, if we don't have you know, all the things that we associate with that? But that's not how it began. It began with the meal around a table. It began with these people and I think that's even the more interesting thing. It's not just that Jesus sat and ate with people, but the people who he sat and ate with. Right, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Of course, Matthew was a tax collector. His friends were tax collectors. His friends came and they ate and Jesus was there. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why wouldn't he? Because at that time, these people were marginalized. These people were looked down upon. These people were abusive to us. And so they were, in a sense, the enemy. Why would you eat with those people? Why would you associate yourself with these people who we have such a problem with? And we saw that with the Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus also was a tax collector. And Jesus said, hey, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. 
And everyone said, why doesn't he know this is a sinner? Why is he going to his house? Imagine what happens when you have this group of people gathering together around a table from all the variety of life that they're involved in, in these different communities. So you get 10, 15, maybe 20 people together at a house and they get together to have a meal and they sit down and you've got a a widow who is struggling to make ends meet, sitting next to a landowner who's pretty well-to-do, sitting next to a slave, sitting next to a Roman who is free and they're all sitting around the table together and they do this regularly. We don't know how often, maybe the first day of the week, maybe multiple times, but they're in a small community. And so because you have to walk everywhere, it's not like they're going to, you know, well, I'm going to walk to Claremont and go to church, right? No, I'm going to go to the one in my neighborhood where I live. And so these people see each other probably throughout the week. They interact with each other in this more intimate setting. So they get to know each other. And what do you do when you're the wealthy landowner and you see the widow who's struggling to get food on her table and you have food and you know the message of Jesus is if I have, I'm to give to those in need. And so you start to do those things. You start having community. You start knowing the needs of people. Hey, how's your son? I heard he was sick. What happened with that goat that you had? Whatever, right? I mean, it's like all these things are a part of their daily routine that this starts to become a part of who they are. And they know each other well because of the interaction they have with one another. And this is church. This is where the message, the gospel, is being birthed, is in the lives of these people. There might be singing, but it's not going to be structured like we have today. There's not going to be any announcements. Every now and then, they might get a letter from Paul that they'll read, and then they might have to copy it so they can give it to one of the other churches in the area. And they have to kind of help each other know out, you know, where the church is going to meet. So they put those emblems of the fish places so that they know, oh, here's a place where we can meet. They have that fish on the door, the ichthus. And so that's how they know where to go. Because there's not a, a sign, the first church of, you know, whatever, Galatia. <laughs> not to be confused with the second church <laughs> of Galatia. The Reformed Church of Galatia. And we see people who socially don't belong together meeting and eating together like family. And there's a whole formation taking place that is blowing the imagination out of the sky of people who are seeing it. And once you give a community something to imagine, we can actually be family in these various settings, it makes the possibility something you can then realize. If I can imagine this group of people being like a family, imagine what could happen to the world around us if we lived like that. If we saw one another as 
family and receive from one another the things that they have to give. You see, because the experience of the widow or the farmer or the landowner or the tax collector is going to be different than the others are experiencing. And so they have something to say that you can actually receive. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue of, or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church, this assembly, might be built up. Everyone's supposed to contribute. Hey, you got a song? Hey, do you have some words of instruction? Do you have, can you interpret what this person's saying because they're speaking in this language and I don't speak that language? Do you see the diversity? Do you see the messiness of this taking place? This would be so uncomfortable going there without knowing what's going to happen, without knowing what kind of food am I going to eat, without knowing what am I going to do with my kids, right? What if you have four kids and you go to this home? What do you do with your kids? Where's the children's ministry? There isn't one. We're it. Can you watch my kid? Okay. Hey, your kid's on the roof. Okay. Just my own experiences. I was literally in church one time and heard walking on the metal roof, and I was like, oh, it's my kids. And it was. <laughs> Imagine what kind of gathering that would look like. I think it's similar to what happens here after I shut up and we talk together, where we actually interact with one another, things that are happening in our lives and are meaningful, because that's when we see what God is doing within us, and then we see ourselves as a part of this collectively. And I think that this diversity that was just common, even though it was uncommon in the time, is such a a characteristic of what is supposed to be church. A diversity not in just social or economic or ethnicity, but a diversity in ideology, where people see things different and come together and hash it out. Well, I think God's like this. Yeah, I have trouble with that. If God's like that, then that would mean he's like this, and I don't like that. Well, what about this? And that interaction and that wrestling through things is where the growth takes place, is where we start to experience God with each other and through each other and maybe refine how we see things based on what we start learning from people who are living in different experiences, It's so interesting when you go somewhere else and see that culture and what they do. When I was in Haiti and they would have a church service, it would last a day. It would last for hours. And we were there, the guests, you know, sitting in a t- under a tarp out in the hot sun, and all of a sudden we'd hear singing. And here comes a couple of families coming to church singing. And they got tambourines and they're singing. They're coming. They're bringing church to the church. 
And then during the church service, there would be like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, where, not a competition, but they, a talent show. There'd be a talent show where everyone would get up and they'd start singing their songs. And then some of them were pretty good and some were okay. But they all got up there and it would go for hours. And that was their church. It was an experience. And they had to walk there in the sun or the rain, in the heat. And they were dressed to the T, man. Their, their white shirts, I don't know how you can live in that much dirt and have shirts that white. But they did. Their culture brought it here and they had an assembly. And I would think, man, this would never fly back in the States. There's no way people would sit in a building for that long and listen to these people. But it was what they had, right? They don't go home to a big screen TV. This is their big screen TV. And so you look at Jesus' disciples and the diversity that was there. You've got Matthew, who's a tax collector. You've got Simon, who's a zealot. And those are polar opposites. These are people who are part of the system, and these are people who are revolting against the system. And they are together. Imagine Thanksgiving at their house, right? Imagine the conversations that happened at these things. We want to think, oh, everyone's just talking. Everything's aggrieved. Everything's fine. No, that's not life. That's not community. And I don't think that was the early church. There was unity, but not uniformity. And today it's hard to find community that is socially, economically, ethnically, ideology diverse. It's hard to find one that's different. You've got churches that are all about this. And you look at them and they all look and think like this. And if you go in there with another idea you feel alienated. And what happens when you got 5,000 people? What happens when you have 500 people? How do you, how is your voice going to be heard? And that's, I think, the problem is we don't care if our voice is heard, but it's important that it is. Because if God is working, he is working through people, not a person, not just a person, I should say. The gospel was meant for community more than for the individual. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The you is plural. Branches lets us know. Peace I give to you. It's plural, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you, plural. He's talking to a group of people, and it's important that we understand that that's what he's talking to. They understood he's talking to us, not, oh, he's talking to me personally. This is my personal relationship with Jesus. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You won't find that in the Bible. Now, of course, there is a personal element. There can't, it has to happen. You can't escape that. 
I remember years ago when I first became a follower of Jesus and I was playing my guitar all the time, I can remember going into my room and the lights were off and playing my guitar and I was just playing through these three chords over and over again. And I just started singing this melody in my head and I started singing it out loud. And it was a a very powerful time in my life where I felt communing with God, where I, it was just me and God, and I was just pouring out my heart, and I was kind of overwhelmed, and I was crying, and I was just singing this melody over and over and over again. And it was just me and God, and, and that's legitimate. What's crazy is years later, I was at a worship conference at Saddleback with a few thousand worship leaders And Israel Hutton was leading worship and he started singing this melody and it was the same melody I was singing back in my room all these years ago and I lost it. I lost it. And I'm singing this with 2,000 people and I was like, that was me, this is me, God. I was just like... But now I'm in a group with 2,000 people collectively and it's not like, well, this one's legit, this one isn't. They're both legit. But gospel is meant to be shared. It's meant to be communal right? The good news is not just for you. It's not good if it's just for you. It's only good if it's shared. If my daughter did not share that grandbaby with me, it would not be good news. If I couldn't hold her and kiss her little cheeks and get that rush of endorphin by holding her, it would not be good news. I need to share in that dynamic. And it's because we're so far removed that we have a hard time seeing the collective understanding of gospel. It becomes personal and not collective. And we have a hard time imagining salvation being anything other than personal. Because salvation for us is Jesus died for my sins so that I wouldn't go to hell and I would go to heaven. But salvation came to Zacchaeus after he said he would restore what he had done to those wrongly. Salvation was a part of his extension to others. The idea of salvation means something different to so many people today. It's interesting in Mark's gospel, chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus says, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting Isaiah and he's talking to the people how they wouldn't understand and he's saying that their eyes are blind, their ears are, are clogged. Otherwise, they would see and they would be forgiven and immediately we think, okay, he's about you know saving them from their sin. But in John's gospel, chapter 12, verse 40, He quotes the same thing, just John's interpretation of it. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that he can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. One is forgive them, one is heal them. Which is it? Both. It encompasses all of it. It's not just about forgiving, it's also about healing, it's about restoring. Salvation is much bigger than just stopping me from going to hell and getting me to go to heaven. It's about making my life whole, not only with God, but with others. And this rests the whole law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's about. That's 
the gospel. And then it makes a whole lot more sense when we read something like in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? What do you mean save them? Can it produce anything healthy in them? Does it have value if it's not given? If it's just held onto? Would Zacchaeus have been, quote, saved if he didn't restore what he wrongly took? No, he would have still had the problem. There would have been the absence of healing in his life. There would not be the restoration that needed to take place. Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. It is an expression that produces the power, that produces the healing, that produces salvation not just from hell to heaven, but in humanity and understanding. And the thought of being in a community close to people, having this kind of interaction with people, for some people it causes social anxiety because that's just not how we are made to function. It's hard. I know we've had people who've gone through things, you know, who have maybe been unfaithful to their spouse. And when everybody knows about it, they feel like I can't stay at that church. I need to go somewhere else where I don't have that pressure. Instead, it, it seems like it should be, no, that's where love and forgiveness can actually be shown and exemplified and experienced. You see, otherwise you're just hiding it and you're pretending these things didn't happen, but they did happen. And yeah, it's uncomfortable, but love works through the uncomfortable. Love grows through the difficulty. And so getting together for some people, it's just like, I don't, whenever, you know, we get together, I don't want to have to say anything. I don't want to have to communicate with anyone. I just want to go. I want to receive some goosebumps and I want to be able to go on. I, I want to get something and I want to get out. But we weren't supposed to get and get out. We were supposed to get and give. That's gospel. You have something we need and it needs to be expressed in your life and through your life to those around you. And so we have to bridge the the gap between our anxiety and gospel. We have to understand that we need each other, that we are the body of Christ and we each have a part to play in one another's life. I need people who disagree with me 
to help me see more clearly my position. I need people who think differently than me, who have different experiences than I do, to deepen my understanding of the world and people around me. For years, I I lived in this Christian bubble where I heard the same teachings, read the same books, interacted with the same people, and then something comes outside of it and pops that balloon, and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? I, I thought this was all perfect, and then it all deflates. And then I have to reimagine things. And then a lot of times we're just trying to, you know, hold on to the things that we have. I need those things to, to pop those bubbles, to expose me to understanding things that I don't see. If I'm around people who just think like I think, how can I grow? How can I learn? And maybe the, the views I have are good or, or even right, How can I test them if I don't interact with others? And doing that in love. It's amazing to me what we consider or think of as church these days compared to what it really was at that time where it was a small group of people around a table eating, talking, without any even instruction, just knowing that this Jesus guy has done something in our lives and brought us together and is restoring us. He's talking about this kingdom where the will of God is to be done here on earth as it would be in heaven. And we get to participate in that. And just sitting down over tacos or falafels, whatever they were eating, And working out what that looked like. Engaging with one another in in this dynamic. And that's why Paul, when he condemns the Corinthian church for their communion service, we call it. Right? We think communion is you get this little cup, you get this little cracker there. Remember the Lord Jesus. It was a meal. It was with Jesus, and it was with them too. They would eat together and remember the Lord's table, remember that God has done this for us. And then some of those people who were real wealthy would come, and they would have food, and they'd be drinking, and they'd be a little lit because they'd been drinking a lot. And then the people who were poor came in there, and they would be hungry, but the people who were rich had been eating. And he says, don't you see you're shaming the Lord? You're partaking in an unworthy manner. It had nothing to do whether you're right with God or not. It's whether you're representing Jesus in this community or not. And you weren't. You were shaming Jesus by not caring for those who had nothing because you were taking it all for yourself. And that didn't look like Jesus. And so Paul condemned that. Because when you eat and drink, you are supposed to proclaim the Lord's death till he returns. You're supposed to be an example of the gospel to one another, especially at these times when you get together and you eat together. 
And how did that become something where you know you have to take this little cup and drink this little thing and eat this little cracker and you have to, you know, ask God to forgive you for all the things you've done so that you can eat worthily? It had nothing to do with that. It had to do everything with your interaction with one another. And that's why the gospel is expressed best in community. Because people see the diversity. They see the care, the love. They see what Jesus taught being lived out. Otherwise, it's just words. Otherwise, it's a faith with no action. Otherwise, it becomes a transaction. And it was so not that. If we were to travel back in time to one of those meetings, we'd probably be struck by how human it was and how strange it was and how uncomfortable it was for me, the zealot, to be sitting next to the tax collector and having a meal and having a conversation and caring about them like I do myself and having an example to wash the feet of those who you disagree with. It would probably be very humbling and very illuminating. So let's not let the gospel become a transaction. Let's allow it to be an action that's displayed with our interaction with one another and the people who come into the people we invite into our table. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said it's not the healthy who need the physician. Everyone does. I'm not going to go back to the bubble. I need to pop it before it starts to surround me and insulate me from what the gospel is meant to do. Let's pray. Father, the challenge is how do we live this out today in a modern society with all the things that we have both at our disposal and at our distraction levels? How do we connect to one another and allow others to connect to us? How do we make time and space for that to happen in what we're calling church environment? How can we allow this diversity to shape us where it's people who don't look like us, don't live the same as us, don't think like us, can come and have a voice and be loved by us. Lord, may we move in that direction. May we push outside of our comfort levels to interact in ways that are more like you and your interaction. 
And I pray, God, for those who are, are struggling just to deal socially with the things that are happening in their lives now, those who just can't imagine putting anything more on their plate, can't imagine doing anything other than what they're doing now that feels like just surviving. May you empower them to be able to grow past the things that are limiting the healing that you want to bring, that are stopping them from growing in places you want us to grow in. May we see that our faith, that our life with you is realized when we interact with others. Thank you for your example, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, I look forward to our discussion and invite those watching to come on down and join with us in that. May your faith be expressed in community. May the gospel come alive and be overflowing from you to those around you. May you realize the value of community with your salvation. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.